welcome to Tech Law Talks. I am Anthony Diana, a member of Reed Smith's Tech and Data Group. In each episode of this podcast, we will discuss cutting edge issues on technology, data, and the law. We will provide practical observations on a wide variety of technology and data topics to give you quick and actionable tips to address the issues you are dealing with every day. Hello, this is Anthony Diana from Reed Smith, and I welcome you to our podcast series regarding e-coms for financial services that we are partnering with Smarsh. Today's podcast will focus on supervision um, for e-coms and what must be super what must be supervised or surveilled, sort of the trends in the industry, um, as well as some of the challenges that we're all dealing with. Today I'm joined by John Lukowski and Kieran Somashekara, partners from Reed Smith and from Greg Breeze from Smarsh. So thanks all for joining. Um, why don't we start this with John just giving an overview of what are the legal and regulatory obligations regarding supervision uh, and surveillance of um, electronic communications for financial institutions. Hey, uh, Anthony, thank you so much. Um, surely can address that topic. So and where I want to start is at a high level. I think that's where you should start. Is that every organization, financial or otherwise, has you know an inherent interest to make sure that you know its business is being carried out in the right way, and and so there should be supervision regardless of whether there's rules to require it or not. It's just good business practice. But a lot of uh, financial institutions, no matter the type, um, have requirements where you have to supervise your business. And so let's take the broker dealers for example. Uh, FINRA rules, specifically 3110, um, require that firms have system of supervision. Um, they have to establish it and maintain it in order to, you know, supervise its business or the business activities in which it engages in order to, to ensure that they comply with the securities laws. And part of that system that you need to maintain is a written supervisory procedures. And, and within the written supervisory procedures and the system that you're, you're, you're requiring, the firms need to have um, systems in place to monitor and supervise the incoming and outgoing correspondence of the firm, as well as the internal correspondence of the firm. You know, it's not just FINRA Rule 3110. FINRA has come out with guidance that I, th I think is frankly very helpful. Um, there's a regulatory notice 07-59, and then there's also regulatory notice uh, 1410. There's other notices, but those two are the major ones. But yeah, I mean, it, it all springs from common sense, like most things, most rules. But in particular, at least in the broker-dealer space, you have, you know, 30, 3110 that requires supervision. Okay, thanks. And, and Kieran, so, so what are the regulators' views of this? Are they focused on this issue? Why do they, why should, you know, the broker-dealers, financial services care about supervision? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, in addition to knowing what's happening in your business, there are, you know, the, the twin concerns of complying with your regulatory obligations and uh, also risk mitigation. And uh, let me start with regulatory interest in firms supervising their electronic communications. It's a relatively recent hot issue. There have been uh, a number of uh, pretty high profile cases and fines coming out of the SEC over the last year, year and a half, in which firms uh, were, were sanctioned for failing to supervise their employees and officers' communications about their business because they were being, they were using platforms that were not part of the firm's supervisory structure and that were not embedded in the firm's supervisory structure. 
regulators, especially the SEC and FINRA, but other regulators as well, want to know that firms are thinking about the issue of supervision with respect to their electronic communications and that they're considering carefully the types of risks that could arise in their employees' communications, whether that's with clients, uh, with the public at large, um, employees' communications with regulators, for example. And so regulators generally will always look to firms when something goes sideways, right? So when an employee or a customer files a complaint or an employee is involved in, in, in a complaint or in a regulatory inquiry and there are communications that the employee engaged in that, that evidence perhaps misconduct or potentially violating certain rules or policies, the regulators will generally look to the firms to say, hey, what were you doing to supervise these communications? Uh, we'll get into this in a little bit more detail going forward, but that doesn't mean that you need to review every single email, text message, and instant message chat that all of your employees ever generate. For most of you, that would be impossible. But there's guidance that uh, essentially uh, requires firms to develop their own risk-based systems to identify uh, the types of communications that they need to supervise and the procedures and policies that will govern that process. And suffice it to say that firms that actively think about these issues and develop robust policies, procedures, and controls and update those policies, procedures, and controls more consistently uh, generally are viewed better by the regulators, whether that's in an investigation and enforcement context or just generally during the exam cycle uh, when a regulator comes in and says, hey, what are you all doing to, to supervise your, your uh, registered person or associated person's communications? The more you think about it, the more your policies say, and the more you follow your policies, the better off you'll be. So, Greg, just in terms of, you know, supervision, we've got about the requirements and what the regulators care about. But how about like, how do you actually do supervision and what trends do you see in terms of the way firms are both conducting supervision and how they're doing it, why they're doing it and the like? Yeah, that's, uh, there are actually some pretty interesting changes uh, in the way that uh, organizations are addressing those, those mandates. Uh, it, it varies very significantly based on you know, the size of the firm, the risk profile. So I still see you know, some of our customers are, are literally just manually reviewing in Outlook <laughs> a set of messages for their employees. Uh, that obviously doesn't scale very well. So if the larger organizations are leveraging uh, a lot of uh, very scalable cloud technologies that include, in, in many cases, some, some form of NLP so that they can get a, a you know more about the the meaning you know I, i'm looking for rumors and secrecy or quid pro quo any sort of language that um, influences that versus you know a set lexicon of terms uh for customer complaints so it really does it runs the gamut everywhere in between and sometimes people have a you know like standalone system that has taken a copy of messages that come in and, and and processing those separately. Others built into their books and records systems. So it really it comes down to understanding, you know, what is my risk profile? What is the volume of content that I need to be looking for? How much manual resource am I willing to apply versus spending a little bit more money on using artificial intelligence, machine learning based systems? And Gregory, are you seeing firms go beyond sort of the legal requirements and regulatory requirements that John was mentioning and doing it more broader based for the 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so there's you know there's the the supervision mandates from the SEC, but many firms are also implementing their own surveillance uh, platforms for broader uh, risk and security analysis. And so, um, <laughs> a few years back, I, I coined the term accidentally supervalence, right? It's kind of a combination of the two. You can do meet your regulatory mandates, but also have a, a broader uh, view of, of what's happening in your organization for, for risk mitigation. And I think that benefits, uh, you know, a, a lot of the different uh, constituents in an organization uh, and can, can actually be more efficient to, to consolidate systems for those purposes. That's great. So, and one of the challenges that I think we've talked about in prior podcasts is obviously there's been a lot of regulatory scrutiny on e-coms generally, and we've heard a lot about people using personal devices, unauthorized devices, personal accounts, and the like for electronic communications. I don't know if, who wants to take this, but you know, obviously one of the controls that I think we're hearing about, but I'd like to explore a little more, is basically doing a surveillance to see if people are trying to use other communications, non-approved communications. Have, have we seen an uptick in that? Is that something now going to be best practice? Yeah, I think, uh, Anthony, the, the proliferation of the platforms in which people communicate electronically, um, and really it's all, the proliferation is all electronic, right? We talk to each other on the phone. We still talk to each other on the phone, but, um, you know, we've gone from, you know, in the last 20 plus years, we've gone from emails uh, to text messaging, to social media, to ephemeral apps, uh, apps that are particular designed in particular to uh, allow people to send messages uh, that then are not captured anywhere or archived anywhere. Uh, and as you can imagine, uh, this creates a lot of challenges for firms in terms of the supervision uh, of their businesses. Um, it used to be the case, you know, 10, maybe 15 years ago that um, even the bigger firms on the street could have a policy that just says, hey, you can't communicate with your clients outside of our email system. And you need to sign an attestation every year or six months or quarter that confirms that you're not doing that, right? Um, what we've seen recently is that the regulators are saying, sorry, that's not enough. You know, it's not enough to simply take someone's word for it when, you know, when what they're seeing, really, the regulators are seeing is that, uh, people are continuing to communicate with their clients, and and it's not always for some underhanded purpose, right? It's it, sometimes you have clients who say, "Hey, I, I'm gonna I use WhatsApp, I use WeChat, and that's how I'm gonna talk to you." And you know, as as a professional within a firm, you don't want to lose that business because your firm's not allowing you to communicate with this client or potential client on the platform they want to communicate. So, um, firms, you know, uh, the challenges that they're facing these days, you know, will again. Using as a as a preliminary building block a lexicon based search tool um, is is great, but that that kind of search tool needs to be updated. It needs to be uh, considered carefully on a regular basis. And you know some of the things you could do is is in addition to machine you know employing more sophisticated tools based in machine based learning, you update your lexicons to identify you know words and phrases like hey hit me up on WeChat or uh, hit me up on on WhatsApp or um, you know, maybe you can p try to include as many of these um, unauthorized social media platforms or e-com platforms as you can in your lexicon, just as a preliminary search and identification function. And of course, the second piece of that is, um, you know, if you do have people in your firm who are communicating outside of the firm's channels and 
you you identify that issue either through your machine surveillance or otherwise. Um, for example, maybe a customer calls you and says, hey, look at all these emails I've been exchanging with my broker um, in which the broker, you know, promised me some money because I lost money on my investments last year, right? Um, obviously, that's not something that a registered uh, professional in the financial industry should be doing. And, and and so you need to follow through on that as well, right? It's it's good to have kind of your, your surveillance tools in place and you can identify a potential supervision risk. But then what do you do after that? Like, what do you do with that individual? Do you talk to them? Do you um, and how do you close out that issue and document it? Um, that's critical in this entire process. And then should have probably started with this, but you know, your pol- again, going back to policies and written supervisory procedures, you need to, as much as possible, document what, ex- think about, first of all, get together, get people from risk, compliance, legal, the business, of course, and get people together, think about the types of issues that you want to be surveilling for and develop policies and procedures and continue to update your policies and procedures to kind of meet the ever-changing technological needs of your business. And and that includes, especially recently, the proliferation of uh, electronic communication platforms that people are using all over the world. Yeah. And and I'm getting a lot of questions from clients because they're, you know, it's it's a hard dilemma, right? Because it's hard. You can't control what people do, right? You can do as much. And if they're using personal apps and like, it's almost impossible because it's not within, you know, arguably the possession custody control of, of the firm. And, and they're often saying, well, what else do I do? And, you know, as you said, they're doing the normal, they have the policies, they enforce the policies, they, they do the attestations and then they throw up their hands and saying, what else can I do? I think this surveillance or supervision of, of the communications and looking for this, potential violation of policy seems to be like, I don't want to say a no brainer, but almost, you, I think you have to tell the, the regulators that you're doing that because they're going to ask, what else are you doing? I don't, Greg, have you seen an uptick in this in terms of a focus on, you know, whether it's lexicon or other, I don't know how else you would do it, but any other ways of sort of putting in controls around the use of these non-authorized applications? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, so uh, just to echo some of what Karen said, the the idea of having a policy is obviously critical, <laughs> uh, and you can get somebody to sign an annual attestation. But you know, what are you actually doing from a process and control standpoint to validate that that's actually happening? So that's that means you have to implement things like uh, policies around channel hopping or other mobile type language in your surveillance programs, so that you can proactively identify whether this is happening. And, you know, I know that sometimes adding additional support for, for channels, other channels that you can monitor is, can be expensive, but it's not as expensive as the $1 billion in fines that Wall, Wall Street firms have, have incurred recently. So understanding that people will do it, not necessarily nefariously, they might, you know, be on the run and text the client says, Hey, I'm going to be late for the lunch. And now that client's got your mobile number and you're, and, and may just be texting you back. And there, there's automatically going to be a dialogue there. So thinking about being more proactive about saying, listen, we can't just shut down. You know, you can only use email. You can only use chat uh, for these two approved channels. You don't necessarily have to try to support everything, 
but you got to have a broader mix of, of, of means of communication. And that's, uh, that's just exploded since the pandemic. And, you know, it even begs the question, what is e-com, right? When you're, you know, the, the podcast that we're doing here or in a chat room or the, uh, Zoom meetings, things like that, that's how business is conducted in a lot of ways now. So uh, it's important to understand and be realistic about how people are conducting business, making sure that you're providing appropriate avenues so that your customers can talk with their brokers and traders and that you can still maintain compliance around that. And then continuously searching for those uh, use cases that are falling outside of it by simply updating lexicons or your, or your data models. Yeah, I was just going to add really quickly, it's also important as much as possible, and I know some of your organizations are going to be huge, right? But trying to get buy-in from your business people and your employees on what you're doing is important. People need to understand why you have a policy that says you can't use you know, WhatsApp to communicate from business. People need to understand why in order to buy into it. And if they've got, if they've got a need uh, to use a particular platform or to do something that may be inconsistent with the firm's policies, it's important to kind of engage folks like that and, and, and hopefully provide a solution that can work uh, for the firm and for the individual. And then the other thing I would like to add is uh, going back to kind of the regulator's perspectives. You now, the regulators want to see that you're thinking about this stuff, right? This is not mm-hmm. perfect supervision. You're not going to catch every message in which a, you know, there's dialogue about the firm's business outside of an approved channel or, or whatever. You're not going to, you're just not going to do it. It's not possible to do that. The important thing is that the regulators need to see that you've thought through the issues and you've developed a meaningful supervi- supervisory plan and control system that will mitigate the firm's risk and regulatory risk as much as possible. And, and you need to be able to document that and demonstrate what you're doing in case something does slip through the and I, and I think along those lines, I want to, well, we want to close on a really difficult issue, which is foreign languages, right? A lot of, a lot of the people listening here are probably in large organizations that are global, people are using different languages. Like, how do you deal with foreign languages that when you're in a global organization and you're trying to implement as good a, you know, supervision or surveillance program as possible? Anthony, I can, I, can, I can take that. I mean, I think it, it's somewhat straightforward. I mean, if you choose to engage in business with in a certain locale or with folks who speak a certain language, your obligations just don't go away because you don't speak that language. I mean, you if you choose to engage in the business of dealing with people who speak a different language and therefore get e-coms who, that are written into you have to, you know, structure an apparatus where you can supervise those just as well as you can supervise uh, the ones written in English. I mean, I don't think it's controversial. Well, not controversial, but difficult to implement, right? I think, yeah. right? Oh, sure. <laughs> certainly. I mean, I, you know, in how many cases that we've handled where, you know, you have, you know, emails that need to be translated and, and it just has to be provided for if you're going to do business on a global basis. So Greg, what, what do you see people doing in terms of the foreign language issue? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So I do think that some organizations are, are taking a little bit of a, a, a risk-based approach, meaning depending upon the volume and the level of business and how much it would cost to remediate the solution, they're kind of trying to find a happy medium there. Uh, I do believe that it's uh, inevitable that organizations are going to have to invest more money in this area. 
Uh, and there's a number of different approaches to handling it, whether that's, and it's going to be very specific to an individual organization, meaning do I have actual compliance teams that are in that particular region or speak those languages, uh, or do I need to translate the actual messages so that my existing lexicons can run against it, or do I have different lexicons with, you know, regional in, uh, influence or, or regional um, inflection for, for those or do I leverage machine learning based technology that can actually, you can have, again, the idea of rumors and secrecy, quid pro pro, that it doesn't matter what the language is. It can intuit those things independent of language. So sort of depending upon the number of regions and languages that, you're, that you've got, where your people are located that are performing the compliance, um, there are different solutions that you can absolutely implement to, to meet those requirements. But sounds like it, it's cost money. Time. Hey, it's not cheap, you know, especially if, if you're also including voice, right? I, I, my, personally, I, I find the distinction between voice and e-com uh, pretty blurry nowadays. And really, we should be looking at it a little more holistically and having the ability for machine learning based technology to listen in on a conversation that's happening while there's also chat going in in the background in that same meeting and be able to detect uh, those those issues with potentially, you know, mid-sentence <laughs> change of language. So, yes, it's it's not cheap, but you know, neither is a two hundred million dollar fine. That is true. All right, on that, I will I will end it. Thanks everyone for joining us. Thanks guys for for the interesting discussion. Um, we have further episodes in this podcast series coming up, so I'm glad you joined, and hopefully you'll join us again. Thanks. Tech Law Talks is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's tech and data practice, please email techlawtalks at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com. And our social media accounts at Reed Smith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.